This episode of the Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Since 2019, Sales Leadership United has grown to become the largest collection of sales leadership assets in the world. Check out salesleadershipunited.com and tap into tools used by elite sales leaders worldwide. Accelerate your leadership development. Solve modern sales challenges. Use fully prepped sales meetings in your next team meeting. Thousands of hours of sales leadership materials indexed and searchable with a single click. Create your own personal sales leadership library. Head to salesleadershipunited.com and use the code ROB at signup to get a free trial on me. Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth from the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders who are taking what the market gives and then some. This show features leaders of teams who are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and creating life-changing years for the people they lead. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United, the world's largest collection of sales leadership assets. Be sure to check out the all-new salesleadershipunited.com. Fast-track your sales leadership development, gain insights into how other sales leaders are solving challenges similar to the ones you face, and tap into over 400 leadership topics, hundreds of video insights, battle-tested leadership frameworks, and new material that comes out every single week. Sales Leadership United is the easiest investment in yourself you'll ever make. Head to salesleadershipunited.com, use the code ROB at signup, and get a free trial on me. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders who are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. I hope you're off to a fast start in 2024 and well on your way to engineering the greatest year in your company's history, because that's what we're asked to do as sales leaders every single year. Make sure this year is the best one that we ever had. And, and to that end, I want to thank you for your support of the show. We had more growth on the show than I ever could have imagined. I got more feedback from, from listeners all around the world than I could have ever thought possible. I want to thank you all for the DMs sharing on, you share with me on how the show has helped you in your career. And this episode today, it's going to be another one that you're going to want to thank me for. This is going to be a good show that you're going to want to go back and listen to a couple times. And I'm really excited to introduce Sarah Downs to our show. Sarah is the co-founder and CRO of Tucaro, and Sarah and the Ducaro team help sales leaders worldwide add predictability to the performance process. And in a day when the pressure to perform has never, and I mean ever, been higher, they help teams step away from the grind, cross your fingers, and hope plan, and they start adding predictability that can only come through systems. Now, it's really interesting to me that Sarah is a former trauma nurse turned sales leader, and we're going to let her share a little bit of that with us when we get started. She takes many of the lessons learned in the hospital that help humans recover and thrive, and then she applies these principles to sales teams so these sales teams can help those companies they work with thrive. And as Sarah and her team have helped companies create robust sales systems, she has scooped up more than her share of sales award awards entrepreneurship awards, and community work all along the way. She's a best-selling author. She hosts her own podcast you're going to want to check out, and she's someone I am excited to dive in with. So let's get after it. Sarah, welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, and thank you so much for joining me. 
Thank you so much for having me, Rob. I'm really excited. After being a listener, I'm now in the hot seat. So let's get going. I want it to be the fun seat, not the hot seat. Let's go. <laughs> <The hot> seat. <laughs> We're going to have lots of fun. It is going to be a fun one, Sarah. This topic is a good one, and it's timely given the time of year in particular. So I can't wait. Why don't you start? Um, we got 50,000 listeners all around the world. Why don't you introduce them to uh, your firm, Dukaru, and what you do for your customers? Sure. 50,000 listeners. That's amazing. No pressure. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you for the introduction. I am Sarah and I'm the co-founding director and CRO at Ducaru. We're based in Aberdeen in Scotland. Um, so somewhere that many of you probably have never visited, but if you ever in the area, do you shout? And we work internationally supporting B2B growth-minded businesses with the sales function. And we're really using a lot of data-driven insight to provide more predictable revenue and effectiveness and success of the, the sales team and the sales function. And you're working with some really cool companies and I'm a fan of what you guys do. And and we, uh, I'm excited to, uh, to bring a, a very specific angle to the table today for, for leaders. So thank you. I, like I said, I'm, I'm a fan of what you do and, and I hope... Uh, our listeners go give you a look and see see what uh, your firm's all about. Now, you are probably, not probably, I'm, I am the only host of this show for five years. And I can say with confidence, you are the only guest I've had on that used to be a trauma nurse before you became a sales leader. So I, I want to learn a little bit, like high level about your journey to sales. How'd you get to sales? And, and ultimately, that, how'd that lead you to uh, starting uh, where you are now? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, not, I'm surprised, I'm not surprised you've not had any other trauma nurses. Have you had any other nurses? None. None? none. Okay, first. Yeah, none. I've had people that were theater actors and actresses and singers <laughs> and musicians. I've had a lot, but never a nurse or a, especially a trauma nurse. Yeah. So um, I did not wake up one day um, and decide I don't want to go to the hospital today. Let's move into sales, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, okay. It has been a journey, and I'm sure that many people working in the sales profession ended up there um, and maybe didn't leave school and decide I want to go into sales. If you had told me when I was still a nurse that I'd ever work in sales, Rob, I would have run a mile. That was just <laughs> not going to happen. I had the same negative view of sales and salespeople as most of probably the general public do, um, especially here in the UK. So it really was a journey. Um, what happened was I'd worked in the trauma unit for almost five years. And before that, I was in elderly care. And I was diagnosed with epilepsy. I, wow. Pretty much out of the blue, just after I got married. And no, it's not my husband's fault. He didn't drive me <laughs> to seizures. Um, but I, I started having seizures and was diagnosed with epilepsy. So I had to leave nursing. It wasn't a choice at the time. Um, I had to leave and I could have gone back once I was two years seizure free. And I thought I would go and get a job. And as soon as I could go back to nursing, I'd go back to nursing. And that's where I'd be for the rest of my days. But what happened in the middle re really threw my career in a completely different direction. So I started with a, a small business. There was only about 35 employees. And I was really fortunate that the director I was working under had been a former Commonwealth gymnast. So she wow. too made uh, quite a career transition. 
And she understood that I had all these transferable skills that I was at the time completely unaware of and that she needed to find a way to pull those out, but also help me understand where I would fit in. So I spent the first part of working in that business, literally just going around every department. So I spent, you know, a few weeks in finance and then operations, health and safety, quality, marketing, events. And I still remember the Monday that I was due to start in the sales team and I was dreading it. Why? Just fear that internal fear that you can experience. And that morning, I remember I didn't even have a coffee. Like I felt physically sick. Like I'm about to go into the sales team. I was terrified. Let's go. (laughs) Which is crazy considering I'd been in a trauma unit for so long, right? Scared of the sales team. But I remember the first couple of days um, included my first sales meeting and the managing director of the company was very old school. The more I shout to everyone, the more they're going to perform and I'm just going to, you know, yell at them and slam doors and slam my fist on the table. So that didn't really entice me in either. Um, So by day three, I was like, this is not for me. And then what changed it is I went to a sales meeting with the other director that was the former Commonwealth gymnast. And I just observed. And it was really eye-opening for me. And I realized that actually all she was trying to do was help this client, help this business achieve what they wanted to achieve. And she didn't make it about her. She made it about them. And she really took her time to what I now know is consultative selling, but really took her time to ask loads of great questions Um, and get the information out of them that she needed to know how to help them better. And I remember being in the car with her on the way back to the office going, I think I can do this. I actually think that if I take a little bit of what I've experienced in nursing and put it into sales, that I could do this. And she said, I know you could do it, Sarah. You just need to make that become a reality. And it really just went from there. So I was in that business for three years almost in sales and I ended up performing very well, doing it my way, not the way the business has been doing it before. And I mapped the sales process to the nursing process Wow! and drew all the parallels that really just to help myself initially. And then all the guys in the team were like, hey, what are you doing differently that we're not understanding? Show us some of this nursing um intel that you have and we all ended up taking a little bit of that with us um and then I worked through another business and then I set up on my own and consulted for three years on my own because I realized I could help more people um working for myself than I could as an employee and then I merged with Yukemi um who you've already interviewed I think in November um five years ago now and we created Ducari so and the rest is history engineer, so we're really weird a nurse and an engineer with a sales consultancy but let's it go so i <laughs> want to sit in this analogy in this relationship between uh trauma nursing and sales i think that it's it's so cool this is going to be a, a unique episode for our listeners and i, I really want to like sit in this one for a while i can't wait to do it because as i think about this one of the things that I think that leaders can learn, and I'm certainly not a, a physician, uh, and I can't wait for you to go into this, is this concept that you got to diagnose before you prescribe. And um, 
when people, when I think when I go to a doctor, the doctor runs through a, a series of things that she or he does to look at before they weigh in and offer a prescription of some kind. And we're in the first month of the year right now in sales, uh, calendar year, I guess. There are some people's fiscals that will start in February and some that will start in the middle of the year. They start all, all the time, but yeah. it, it is the beginning of the calendar year. And, um, and every sales leader I know is asked to in, be the engineer of the greatest year in company history every single year, right? And so we have to do better. We have to do more. We have to find ways to grow. So I want to start with this. As we're in this time of year where everybody has just had the more button get pushed. I just kicked off a new client this morning. Uh, she's new to her team. She's new to me. Uh, we were talking about how do we help people realize we can double the company size this year without requiring you to double the number of hours that you work. That was our whole conversation uh, today. How, how do you move past just pushing the more button, which comes, that's what we sign up for in sales. We will, if we're afraid of the more button, we should leave and get a different job. How do we move past the more button and start getting into the how button? Yeah, that's such a great question, Rob. And, you know, it's only the 3rd of January as we record, and I've had quite a few discussions today on those exact points where everyone's being asked for more, whether you're the CEO, whether you're the sales leader, whether you're the salesperson. And more often um, relates to we need to do more lead generation, we need to do more marketing, we need to do, you know, we need more in the pipeline, more in the top of the funnel. And hopefully that means more will convert, right? There's a lot, I think you said earlier, um, you know, the grind, cross your fingers and hope strategy, you know, that's absolutely- It's alive and well, isn't it? But, but it is yeah. alive and well, isn't it? Yeah. So what we do is we help business leaders, sales leaders um, really look inward first, okay? So before you start going out to the market and just trying to get more and hope that that converts into more, Let's have a look at what's going on internally first, because it amazes me every time we do it, what is uncovered and things that you would think people should just know you don't because you're blinkered because you're in this world day in, day out. There's pressures coming at you from all sides. There's things changing all the time. People are changing, the products are changing, the industry is changing, and then you get a random global pandemic thrown into the mix or whatever this year is going to throw at us, there'll be something, right? For so sure. For us, it's more about like, what can you control? So the, you can always control what's going on internally more than you can externally. I think everyone agrees with that. So when you look at internal, when we're looking at our data-driven um, way of analyzing to support business leaders have the insight that they need, the data-driven insight they need to make decisions that are going to improve effectiveness, improve performance, make this sales function more sustainably performing. So not just let's have a really high February and everyone celebrates and then go, oh God, what's May and June going to hold? Right. It, we need the sustainable growth. So the first thing we look at is actually the people. So just by looking at the people alone, and we have a data set now of over 2.3 million sales competency assessments of sales, salespeople. And when I say salespeople, they could be a lot of different job titles, even project manager, engineer, but people that are involved in selling in a business. You then have the sales management, and then you have the P&L holder, the sales leader. 
And the data set covers all three areas. What that helps us to do very quickly, and I mean within a matter of weeks, is understand whether even things like a slight restructure might make all the difference. Maybe you have somebody that's a fantastic hunter stuck in account management right now. Maybe you have somebody um, on the flip side of that. Maybe you have someone in your team that has stronger management skills than one of your managers does. And actually that manager has progressed to that level, but they were always an amazing salesperson and now they're not selling because they're stuck in the management seat. So sometimes a slight restructure is actually enough to move the dial, okay? But what it'll also show you is what's getting in our own way. So for example, if we do an assessment and we see, okay, 80% of our sellers are really struggling with qualification. They're not understanding qualification and there's behaviors getting in the way. Maybe they're uncomfortable discussing money. Maybe they have a fear of rejection. All these things are going on. How, again, can we enable them through our processes, through our coaching, through our training, through our peer-to-peer support, You know, getting the team speaking together more? these things again will move the dial and it sounds really simple but it's amazing how many businesses don't actually look at this like if you were to take 100 sales leaders and say how many of you have competency assessed your sales team in the last 12 months I'd be surprised if you got two percent yeah and so I'm glad you brought that up because I think what you're saying everybody that's listening is probably nodding their head saying yeah that makes sense yeah that makes sense but now we get to the real thing. It's easy to say, harder to do. Do you think people don't do it because they don't know how? Do you think they don't do it because they don't know what they'll do with it? Like, why do you think that number is so low? I think there's a lot of fear. And you've got okay. to remember, you know, you've got HR and um, playing a part in this as well. And there's certain regions and countries around the world where moving people around or firing people, hiring people is very difficult. Not in the US, Um, it's probably one of the easiest places, but there are some, for example, European countries where it's really difficult. So there's a lot of fear. If I see data or get insight from data and I know I need to make change, am I even gonna be able to make that change or do I now have information that I don't actually want to know? Mm. Um, So there's a bit of that. And then there's also a lot of sales leaders I talk to, they just don't know this stuff exists. They don't know that they can actually have an unbiased way of analyzing their sales team within a matter of weeks that gives them data. They don't understand that that exists. They think they can only look at personality profile and some of the tools that are very off the shelf and known to everybody. They just don't know. So if you don't know, you don't know, right? So if it feels like oh, I'm going to have to observe people for a year to have this data, or yeah. I'm going to have to pay a really expensive consultant to come in and live in my business. Because I got to sell now, right now. I yeah. can't wait till May what, to what your point you said earlier. Yeah. You really want to do, for example, we're in January. So you want to do something in January that you can be reporting to board by February, right? And saying, this is what I need to do. And this is the outcome. This is the ROI um, of us making these changes and having data-driven insight to back that up. Because you're also going to be talking to a lot of people like CFOs, CEOs, boards that don't understand sales in the way the sales leader does either. So I think a lot of it is just they don't know what they don't know, Rob. So I really like how you kicked this off and you said the first thing we should do is lick, look, not lick, look inward first. 
I really like that. I'm I'm coming back. I'm I'm sitting in this for a second because look inward first is a really interesting uh that that's 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 you can turn that into systems. And you'd mentioned the first one of the first places when you're looking inward is let's look at people. So if you were to say, hey, the theme of this call is going to be not just diagnosing, but looking inward first, because we can diagnose inward, we can diagnose outward. This idea of looking inward, you said something, I loved how eloquently you said it. It's the internal things are the things we can have the most impact with. And um, so if we got 50,000 people saying, yeah, I want to make sure I'm looking inward, I would imagine there's more to it than just look at, because like some things are easy, like what were sales last year or what were our calls last year or whatever. And then we just, again, say, just do more. It, it, for a bunch of leaders that are listening to this and how, how do you be elite at looking inward first? Is there like a few things you'd say, here are some things you might want to do if you want to look inward in a way that's meaningful? I would say always start with the people because the people will tell you what you need to know about the systems and the processes and the resilience of that business as well. Um, a lot of people will jump to strategy first and they forget that you can only build a strategy that can actually be implemented. So what happens often is in December, everyone jumps to, right, we need to build strategy for, you know, this year, 2024. And then they'll start implementing strategy and then realize by April, May, that this isn't actually working. And then they don't understand why. Where if you look at the people first, before you build the strategy, you understand what you need to change, but also what is that team capable of before you just set out crazy numbers and crazy targets. And it stops you needing to rely on some of those metrics that you just spoke about, like number of calls, number of meetings. It's actually how do we make those calls, those meetings more effective? So if a salesperson's doing 50 calls a day, but they're really struggling to qualify, what's happening is they're, they'll be converting into step two of the process. And then it might not disqualify till step three, but actually it should have disqualified in step one just to give an example. So let's either move that person away and put them where they're really strong at, or let's hone in and give them that development and enable the sales process in a way that they can't um, leak you know, that through into our pipeline before it's ready to be there. Um, so I would say start with the people first, don't start with strategy first. Business strategy is, a, you know, is always gonna be there, but when, before you start setting your actual sales strategy, really understand your people because that will tell you where you need to be aware of some of the I guess the hurdles you're going to come across if you don't make the changes that need to be made but it's also going to help you understand how you need to enable them so that's going to be through the systems the processes the tools you know whatever they need and it also then helps you align that to different departments in the organization so for example you might not need more leads so why put a little huge marketing budget in when actually we've just diagnosed that the issue is not we need more leads, it's that we need to convert more leads through the sales process. Well, here's my question on that, Sarah. This is this is really interesting, and I like this because I think you're right. I think most people do start with strategy. I think most people will get a number given to them by the mothership, wherever that is, and then they go and put together a strategy on how they're going to do that. and. 
I love this idea of looking at people. Let me ask you this. When you look at people, is part of that asking what skills do we need to have that don't exist here right now? Yeah, there's a gap analysis in many ways. So there's an element of restructure and enablement you'll be able to do with the existing sales force. But there will also be gaps. And it's better to know those gaps now than six months down the line when they're biting you in the ass, really. Um, don't know if I'm allowed to say yeah, you can say whatever you want. You're, you're doing good. Yeah, you're great. You want to identify the gaps. So it helps you to identify the gaps. And then once we understand what they are, what we would then do is help our clients hire to those gaps using the same data. So we'd set our algorithm to, for in the recruitment side to really understand the role that that person's coming in to do, not just the job title and roles and responsibilities, but really go deep. And we'll get to a point of 92% predictive validation of their performance within the first six months to fill that gap. Um, so, it, yeah, it, re it really helps you to do the gap analysis. But then it's not just about what is the gap. How do we then effectively fill that gap is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And what I like is, is, is it's looking for a specific skill rather than mm -hmm. filling headcount. Right. I mean, that's. That's what I'm getting from this is what are the skills I need to have on my team in order to achieve X, right? And when I have these skills, then I can put a strategy in place on how I leverage those skills if I'm hearing you correctly. Yeah, and you ideally want the strategy, at least the business strategy, um, understood before you fill those gaps. So for example, I had a call today with a client in the US and they're about to start moving into different um, sectors so as they do that new market entry, a lot what a lot of companies do is they'll take their best salesperson in one market and they'll go, right, let's put them into the new market because we feel like we have more confidence with them. Yeah. But when we're doing the data work, what often shows up is that person is being set up to fail because there's different skills that you need when you're going into new market or even like new service, new product territory. And so therefore, if the business strategy is saying we're going to pivot or we're going to move or we're going to market entry somewhere, then the gap that might be needing filled is actually for that reason. So it's good for us to have an understanding of the strategy before we start filling those gaps. Otherwise, you could end up with too much of the same. And that's going to serve you in the core sectors, the core products and services, but not once you start diversifying out of that area. I like that a lot. Um, that is a really interesting way to look at your team as you go into next year. Are there any advice that you might give to our listeners? Like if you're going to look inward, what are some things that are, because one of the things I wrote down as I was listening to you is you can measure participation, which is just activities, or you can me measure productivity, which is totally different. Are there any like tips you might give to our leaders on as you're looking inward at people, here's a few things that you might want to consider looking at, or maybe even like, here's a few easy traps to fall into that might, yeah. to use your term that I love, so will bite you in the ass. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> it depends on where they're headed and the size of the business. Um, so okay. it's not one size fits all, but certainly some of the traps people fall into, um, you know, again, just assuming that they have the right team to deliver this, this amazing strategy that's come from the boardroom. Um, that's often 
a misconception. And that's why so many people are panicking come October that they're nowhere near their annual figures. The other one is poaching from competitors. So quite often when a business is set to grow and they're wanting more market share, they'll have a look at how they can fill some of their gaps or add to their headcount with bringing in salespeople from their competition. And they assume because they're selling to the same market, same products, same services, same type business, that if they're performing over there, they're going to perform here. Hardly ever works out. Tell me why. I'm really interested to hear why. Yeah, so we've done a lot of um, surveying and studying with this. Um, And within the data set, so I can give an example. We do a lot of work in the energy and tech sectors. And in the oil and gas sector in particular, upstream oil and gas, there's a lot of very large service companies. And they they really struggle to differentiate themselves because they do have very similar product services, same markets, you know, same infrastructure. A lot of it's very similar. But what does change is the culture, the emphasis on good management, leader, good, good leadership. Um, that's probably the one that impacts more than things like compensation package. So we know that out of the 2.3 million data set we have, over 70% of those are intrinsically motivated. So you're not going to budge them just by offering more money and having these shiny compensation packages. They really want to know the strategy. They want to understand the part they play. They want to be developed. They want to be thanked. So if they don't get that, they're not, even if they know how to perform and they're capable of it, they'll stop doing it. So a lot of it is understanding the motivations of the people you're bringing in and understanding that the culture that they've been working within might be very different from the one you're about to put them into. And then the onboarding isn't effective enough to help them with that transition. So often it fails and it fails pretty quickly, actually. The only time they hide is when they're brought into a business and given a load of accounts that someone else has already nurtured. And this is like, you know, an order taker, not a salesperson. And they're getting all this revenue coming in. It looks like they're hitting their numbers, but actually it's just legacy business that at the moment they're being able to pick up. When that business in oil and gas is a great example, when they had huge downturn 2014, 2017, this happened a lot where all that legacy business stopped and you can really start to see who can actually sell versus who's just the order taker. So I want to stay in this topic for a minute. This was awesome. Thank you for those traps. I I have fallen victim of those traps, some of those before. In fact, I have a funny story. My CEO of a, of a company that I was the VP of sales for long time ago, we were we venture back. He was a he was known as kind of a crazy guy, this founder. He said my one of the biggest elements of my comp plan was he identified our biggest competitor. He said, you have to poach one of the top three salespeople from this. You have to find out who they are. You have to find out what their sales numbers are. And you have to get one of those guys to come on board with us. That's the biggest driver of your comp. And I was successful in it. I won't get into how I pulled that off, but I did. It was fun. And, um, and he was only marginally okay when we got him. It was interesting that you say that. Um, yeah. I got a big bonus for my CEO for getting them though. So that was good. Um, yeah. A lot of it comes down to the ma- level of management or the management structure because there's 
different types of good salespeople. Like people always ask us the questions about the data we have. What makes a great salesperson? And there is not one answer to that because every business is so different. Um, but one thing that's very clear to us and something we call the figure out factor is how much management somebody requires to perform. So some people work really well in a sales office with a sales manager on them every day. And other people would be completely disruptive in that world. And they are better to say, you know, we want to build our business in Dubai. Off you go. <laughs> See you later. And a lot of the time people are putting the people that need a lot of management into the roles where there is no management or very limited management and then trying to put those people into a heavily managed environment. And I think that's where most of it goes wrong when you're coaching. So, or recruiting so, in general, to be honest. Yeah, so let's let's sit in this for a little longer though, because I, I have a lot of, of thoughts running through my head and I, I'm trying hard to channel our, our listeners and try to get like what they're thinking as they listen to our conversation. So I, I, I think that probably if you're doing this diagnosis stuff that we're talking about and we're looking inward, we want to find root causes of things. We don't want to just stop at symptoms. I'm going to imagine is the case. And I, I think um, that pressure that we talked about that has never been bigger than it is right now. I think that this immediateness of I got to sell now sometimes will have people looking at symptoms rather than root cause. And on top of that, there's a lot of people who don't even believe the data. You've talked about being data driven. There's a lot of people that just don't believe the data. Uh, like I said, I have a client right now that said, I don't think we have good data. Uh, and so what's your thoughts around root cause and, and like, do you have any thoughts for people who question if they have data? Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Like, I would love your thoughts around that. So instead of looking inward in the in our own business, if you don't mind, I'll use a bit of an analogy and a story of Let's go. selling into another business and that'll hopefully yep. put together. So if you think about, you said right at the start, Rob, when you go to the doctor, you know, you don't go in and say, I have a sore head. And they go, by the way, you know, you have migraine and there, here's some migraine medication. They, they'll ask a lot of questions yeah. first. So when I worked in trauma, and for those of you that don't understand what that is, it, it's things like car accidents, motorbike accidents, sporting injuries, offshore industry, industry injuries, sorry, um, sporting injuries, there's all sorts, but lots of broken bones, lots of really nasty stuff. And if someone came into the trauma unit and it was pretty clear to the eye that their leg was probably broken in three places, even the world's best orthopedic surgeon would not diagnose based on that, okay? What they would do is run a, a series of diagnostics. So X-ray, MRI, whatever they needed to do, which would give us a diagnosis, okay? But even at that point, they wouldn't set the treatment plan. They wouldn't say, right, get this guy to theater or he needs to go on antibiotics, pain meds. This is the treatment plan. What they do first is check the general health. And that's why, you know, they check the blood pressure, they do the ECG, they do the temperature, um, the oxygen levels, all the things. Anyone that's ever been in hospital will have experienced. Yeah. And that's because they're actually trying to understand whether you are fit for surgery or fit for that treatment plan. And only then will they set it but they're also very aware that once it starts, they need to monitor. So 
most of us have probably been on an antibiotic at some point in our lives where you take yep. the full course and it's not worked and we need something else or you try a painkiller that doesn't work. So they're always monitoring the bloods, for example, to understand if that infection is being fought. If you take that same thing into sales and business, if you think of the broken leg, it's a bit like a salesperson going in, the client saying, "These are this is my symptom, and the salesperson saying, okay, this is what you need, and this is the product, this is service, let's go. Without having any thought to, we need to dig deeper, or we actually need to check the general health of the organization first to see whether we're fit for that yet. What's the impact? What's the implication of all the other parts of that business if that happens? And it's the same when we look inward. Everyone wants to sell more stuff. I hear it every day. Yeah. Sell more stuff. We want to do more. You know, that grind, that pressure, up the numbers, double yep. everything, triple everything. But actually, a lot of organizations are not fit for that. They're not ready for it. And that's why it fails. Or sometimes they manage it, but everyone has gray hair by the end of the year because, or no hair, um, in the world I work in, there's plenty of balding um, middle-aged people that are probably yep. in that situation. So what we really need to make sure we're doing is checking in on symptoms. Symptoms are important and they tell us part of the story. We always willing to dig deeper and sales leaders need to give their salespeople the time and the space to do that and stop pressuring mm. into making decisions and selling really, you know, creating lots of urgency when they don't even know what's going on yet. We then need to check the general health of the, our own business, our client's business, whatever it may be, and really understand the implication, good and bad, of um, selling that product or service and that's something I'll test anyone I'm coaching in sales they get very excited about selling something I'll say to them right what are the implications of you selling this into this business I want three good things and I want three bad things because there's always a balance there's always good and bad there's never just good yeah well, for example if I can help your business sell more good thing you're going to struggle to back that up operationally bad thing <laughs> You know, so there's always a balance. And then once we have made the sale, and this is where our aftercare team or after sales, aftercare, whatever you want to call it, account management, we want them understanding the questions to ask to understand whether those impacts, implications are really coming to fruition and where we might actually need to interject again to take care of that company that we've just sold this thing to. And when you think of it commercially, that's upselling, cross-selling, you know, repeat business or removing, you know, stopping a contract as well sometimes. But if we can think of that in the way of we're doing it because we care and we want them to get the most value and really get all those good implications and good impact, then salespeople start thinking about it differently. So I'm yeah. hoping that story and analogy, and sorry, I talk a lot, I'm hoping that talks to when we're selling to clients, when we're looking at our own business as well internally. You know, are we are we healthy? Are we fit for this grand strategy that has been given to us? Or maybe we need to push back a bit and go, actually, if we do that, here's all the negative side effects you're going to experience as an organization if you really push us to do this. 
So, Sarah, I can't believe it, but we have less than 10 minutes left, if you can believe that. It's gone so <laughs> fast. I knew it would because I, I just I knew it would. I, there's one element I want to talk about that we haven't yet that I want to make sure we give a, a good chunk of this time to. And so I'm thinking about these sales leaders that are listening to you and they're like, yeah, you're right. I should look inward first. And, and you've given a great blueprint on ways to do that. We've talked about symptoms. We've talked about more than just data. How does a leader build diagnosing into their operating rhythm? And so for people who will be watching some this, the video version of this, they'll see me like bobbing my head to a rhythm. Like I, I always <laughs> say that a leader needs to create a rhythm that their people on their team can dance to. But we we have operating rhythms, you know, the frequency that we coach or we do all kinds of things like where should diagnosing fit into this? And how do we make it like what's the balance of recorded data through numbers and observed? I think observational data is every bit as powerful, if not more powerful than what just comes through from the data warehouse. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, plenty. Um, but very aware of time. So the first thing, <laughs> again, I'll, I'll repeat myself, but look at the people first. So before you set an op operating rhythm where you're essentially what sales leaders do is they treat everyone the same. Like I must coach all of my sales team every week. I must do this every day. I must do this every month. But actually your team all needs something different from you. So before you invest 12 hours a week in coaching, maybe check in that they're all coachable. That's something that we measure and they won't all be coachable. It's very unusual to have a full team that are coachable. And actually, you're just annoying the person that isn't coachable by trying to coach them. So get that couple of hours back of your life to focus on another area that's going to have a better ROI. Mm. So again, understanding the people and what rhythm they need from you as a leader. And when it comes to developing, holding people accountable, motivating them, um, and then when we look at the actual data in the pipeline, I think more businesses need to get clear on what's missing. And I, I think there's way too much data out there, but I also think that businesses track a lot of the wrong things. Um, the two areas that I've seen make a huge impact, and I'm hoping this is helpful, is one, breaking up the pipeline into three areas. So instead of having all of your stages in one pipeline, have three pipelines, one focused on prospecting, everything that happens before something is qualified enough to come into what I would call core pipeline, okay. and then break off all things that are account growth or account management driven into a third pipeline. Three pipelines is a minimum. If you're selling various products, services, and you know different regions around the world, different sectors, you're probably going to need a lot more than that. But at least to start with, break it down into three. Most people I speak to have one. And it's all in different stages. They might have 10 stages or 12 yeah. stages. Uh, you know, not many of them manage to condense. Or if it is, it's a pretty rubbish process normally. Not very enabling for the people using it. It's more of a management tool. But by breaking that down, that can help you really see through some of that data and understand the area that things are getting stuck at and focus efforts in there. The two areas um, from a data point of view, I've seen a lot of people get a lot of um, impact with is one relationship intelligence. So going back to the missing data, the contacts are often in a CRM um, because a salesperson put them there or a marketing team put them there, but there's loads that are missed. 
So you can buy relationship intelligence tools that will speak to your inbox. So your Outlook, your 365, and it will pull all the contacts, but not just the, the contact data, but the relationship scoring of each of those contacts. And if you ever want to do an episode on that, Rob, I'll introduce you to a fantastic person that can talk in a lot of detail about relationship intelligence. That would be really Yeah, helpful. we'll have to do that. That'd be cool. That's one. The other one is revenue intelligence. So it's understanding the activity, but actually the activity that is mat is mattering to converting stage to stage and understanding the velocity of the sales steps, not just what the overall sales cycle is, to really understand again where we can speed things up and slow things down sometimes. It shouldn't always be about speeding them up. Sometimes we should encourage our sales team to slow down in certain areas for that diagnosing. And a lot of the time, you know, if you think velocity, you think speed. So everyone's like, we need to speed up. We need to speed up. We need to shorten the sales cycle. But by slowing down certain stages, you can shorten the overall sales cycle. So you just need to get the right balance. So I think- Love um, that. Relationship intelligence and revenue intelligence are two from my sales enablement hat on um, that can help. And that really breaking down the sales pipeline into those three core areas will really help a sales leader see through the noise of that pipeline data that they're hit with every day when they open their Salesforce or anything else that they're using. You've been so good, Sarah. I'm looking at my clock and I have to stop now because it's <laughs> important to me that we give people a chance to learn more about you. So we're going to do two things. We're going to have you share with the group how they get more of you, how to get more of uh, of your firm, how do they get more of what you have to offer. And then we'll give you a chance to like put a bow on everything we just talked about, your final thought. Okay. So so how do they get more of Sarah? How do they get more of uh, more of Dokaru? How do they get more of, of your, your, your thinking and all the things you have to offer? How, how do they do that? So I'm definitely a LinkedIn girl. Um, you're best to follow me on LinkedIn. Um, follow the business on LinkedIn. We do a lot of personal content on our personal profiles. Um, so definitely we'd ring the bell on LinkedIn to make sure you're staying on top of that. But also I am in my own DMs. I don't use any automation. I am the person that will answer. So if anybody wants to talk to me, please send me a DM and I will get back to you, whether it's just a question or they want some clarification on something I've said today. Um, I'm also on a quite a number of other podcasts. Um, so if you search for me on Spotify or Apple, you'll probably hear more of this stuff if you want to. Um, I do, you said at the start, I have my own podcast, but I haven't recorded now for almost two years. Um, and that was because I realized I prefer to be a guest, actually. <laughs> um, I prefer to be a guest, but there is a podcast there called Sales Insights with Sarah, which I've, I feel is really dated now. But to be honest, you know, people say sales is always changing, but the fundamentals have not changed that much. So there's probably a good bit of content there um, that you can listen into if you want. Um, but definitely LinkedIn. And obviously, Ducaro has a website. We have we do quite a lot of research. You can download research reports. Um, I've got a new kind of scorecard, kind of sales quiz coming out soon um, that might be helpful if you're just trying to diagnose your own internal organization a little bit. It's free and it's accessible um, and it's somewhere to get started before you go talking to consultants or people like me. So I'll share you the link um, with you, Rob, and you might want to put that in the show notes. 
we'll put those links. We'll put your all those links in the show notes. And when you do get that scorecard done, tell me, and we'll put it in Sales Leadership United for the thousand plus people that are there as well. And uh, and that'll be awesome. Sarah, this has been a terrific conversation. I love the theme around looking inward first. What a great thing if we had 50,000 listeners that all stopped and paused and did a little bit more of inward looking first. I can't imagine that everyone would have a better year if they did. Can can, can you just give us like a minute or two, your final thoughts? Like we've, we've talked for about a lot of things for 45 minutes, went really fast. How would you summarize for our listeners around the world? Oh my goodness. So I think going to looking inward first, there's a reason that every time you're in a bookstore or an airport, self-help books are everywhere, right? As individuals, we need to look inward first before we can help anyone else. You know, the air stewardess will tell you, put your own oxygen mask on first. Yep. No different when you're leading a business. So just remember that looking inward first and really take the time to go back and do effective diagnostic. Stop pressuring the team to move too quick at the stages of the sales journey where you don't want them moving quick. You actually want to slow them down so that you start stop wasting time on underqualified opportunities and waste, you know, spend your time on things that are really going to convert. Um, and that's it for me. Thank you so much for having me, Rob. I really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, hopefully everyone's taken something from this. Well, her name is Sarah Downs. She's the co-founder and CEO of, of Ducaru. Uh, she's helping leaders just like you all around the world look inward first and take more charge of the things that they are in charge of. And and you're right. We, there is no victims here. We we should all be victors, right? And uh, and, and I hope that as we all chase down this year. And we all have in common, we're trying to have the greatest year of our careers, that you take some notes from Sarah, look inward first, and make the moves that will help you have the greatest year you've ever had. My advice is to connect with with uh, Sarah. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. You, you, you were awesome, even better than I expected. I, I wish you your greatest year ever. And as I say to everyone, happy selling. Thank you. And happy new year to everyone. Here's to an epic 2024 to you and everyone listening. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this episode is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Sales Leadership United has had so much growth, and I'm grateful to every one of you who continues to choose to check us out. The purpose of Sales Leadership United is simple. I want to give you access to the largest collection of sales leadership assets in the world. Listen, I coach over 100 leaders. They're in big companies. They're in new companies. They are in every industry. They are people that are new to leadership. They are new to their companies. They are some people that are the most seasoned sales leaders in the world. It's this massive cross-section of leaders, and every one of them is asking for more tools, more insights, more perspective. How do you create systems? How do you create foundations? How do you create change? How do you coach? How do you lead up, manage up? How do you connect to a totally different generation? And the number one question, what are other leaders like me doing to solve problems like the ones I'm facing right now? And that's why you need to check out Sales Leadership United. Tools, training, techniques, everything you might ever want organized and tagged by topic, decks, templates, frameworks, videos, 
perspective that can come only from thousands of hours of working with leaders from all around the world. And if you haven't checked out Sales Leadership United, head to salesleadershipunited.com, use the code ROB at checkout, and take a free trial on me. Man, I loved that conversation with Sarah. I really appreciate the idea that as leaders, we have a responsibility to tease out the very best our people have to offer. And the best leaders, they get this and they're able to do this. I'm going to say something you've heard me say before. Elite leaders do consistently what average ones do occasionally. And and one of those things at the top of the list is helping those they lead find that next gear that's inside them. And when Sarah talks about understanding that we have to transfer skills and develop skills and pull things out of those they lead that might not even be evident to the member of the team yet, then I know this is an important conversation for every leader that listens to us around the world. And I haven't stopped thinking about where she said we need to start, that every leader needs to learn to look inward first, and she could not be more correct. We are way more in control of what's happening internally than we can of what's happening externally. And if we look internally at ourselves, as well as at the individuals that comprise our teams, we can find those ways that we are getting in our own way, as Sarah so perfectly said. So let's take a chapter, let's take a a note from this, this, and let's make sure that we make tomorrow better than today. Let's make sure we start with people. People first, people always. Because as leaders, we are in the people business. Strategy is important, but strategy without execution, that's worthless. And people... That's where execution happens. I just got done having lunch today with an exec I'm going to put on the show soon. I hope to have him live on the show in the next few weeks. I'll prioritize getting alive as fast as I can. This guy is a legend. His people never leave him. Average tenure is over 15 years, and, and they have every metric, team metric you may ever have that you look at working in his favor. But this team that's been in place for so long isn't complacent. They lead their industry in almost every measurable category. They innovate. They execute relentlessly and passionately. So I want you to ask yourself, what is my team capable of? And I mean really capable of. Don't just work hard and hope. Don't cross your fingers. Don't get an arbitrary goal from someone and and hope you can get it. And don't set an arbitrary goal and then demand compliance. Listen, your sales plan better include a people plan. We can learn a ton from Sarah. We have so much to learn from Sarah. Her lessons from her career as a nurse apply so well to our jobs as sales leaders because we can't just lead by the numbers. Too many leaders still think they can, but they are wrong. We can't. Listen, I agree. Numbers don't lie, but I would also say that they never tell the entire story either. And as she learned as a nurse, symptoms only tell part of a story. The numbers only tell part of the story as well. I want you to create a culture and the relationships so you can create an environment where your team will tell you their story. And that makes me think of one last thing. Here's something important to remember. You can tell how a team, how a member of your team values you as a leader by the things they brought, bring to you. Are they only bringing you deals? Are they coming to you when they need help or approvals or creativity? Are they only coming to you for deal help? Or are they bringing you more? Are they talking about career stuff and interpersonal stuff and maybe even private stuff? Are they bringing, are you working with the whole person 
or are you just working with the salesperson? Because today, I want to remind you of the importance of emphasizing the whole person and not just the salesperson. We got to connect, not just correct. To do it, we got to diagnose and then spend time where it matters, get close into what's real, help people feel like they're part of something bigger than just themselves. And if we do, we can create a rhythm that will orchestrate the greatest year of your career. You'll have the impact in the lives of the people you lead in ways you've never had it before, all because you looked inward first. So Sarah, thank you for joining me. Thank you for sharing your insights. Congratulations on the massive success and impact you're creating with the Ducaro team and your clients. Keep bringing that nurse perspective to helping teams connect and become difference makers because there's a lot of people who need what you have to offer. To our listeners worldwide, be sure to connect with Sarah. Check out what she's doing. Use the links in the show notes and we'll help make that easy. And be sure to head to Sales Leadership United for the video clips of this conversation with Sarah and hundreds of other sales leaders, as well as a bunch of other tools, training, and things that you will find extremely helpful as you get off to the fastest start of your career. Finally, thanks to each of you, our listeners. The greatest compliment you can give us is to share the show with those you work with. Introduce them to the Sales Leadership Podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes, and you can support the show by checking out Sales Leadership United. Head over to salesleadershipunited.com. Check it out. I think you'll be glad you did. Thank you for your ongoing support of our show. Our job as sales leaders is to create life-changing years for the people we lead. If you liked this message, please share it with this week with someone who needs it. And then get after it this week because life is short. There's no guarantee of what comes tomorrow. Maximize what you do today. Be elite, live strong, and chase your passions. And do your best work so you can live your best life. And don't ever forget, you got this and I got you. Here's to a terrific week. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner, you know where to find me.